0: Good morning, Grace Hill. Praise the Lord indeed. His mercy is more, more than the accumulation of everything that we can bring to the Lord, including our sin. What an amazing grace. Let's bow our hearts and pray to the Lord as we continue our worship and begin our study. Our Father, you are an amazing God we do come and we do approach you as our Father in Heaven and we pray that your name would be glorified and that your name would be holy, holy in our midst right now, that we would sanctify you in our hearts, that we would remind ourselves that we are yours, remind us that you um, care for us, that you gave up your son for us to redeem us, to change us, to transform us so that we would be your children who would proclaim your excellencies wherever we are. And so this morning as we desire to come to your word, would, would we be transformed? Lord, would the spirit work in our midst to remind us that we do have a father And therefore, because we are part of your family, because we have been enlisted into your army, we have certain priorities, we have certain goals, we have certain agenda that we need to be about as your children. And so help us, Father, to be encouraged as we leave this place this morning, would the Spirit lead us to make practical adjustments in our life where we need to? Lord help us in this way we ask in Jesus name amen Well please open with me to Matthew chapter 6 As we return to our regular study we come to another very familiar and very important section in this sermon 6 25 through the end of the chapter through 34 Now you might say well you say that every time we come to a new section and Uh, You're probably right. I do, because really, the entire sermon, right? The entire every single verse in this sermon is so important. Uh, Here Jesus addresses for us the topic of anxiety and worry, and perhaps it's very relevant for some of us this morning. How do we know that? Well, he uses the word anxiety or worry in some of your translations at least six times in 10 verses in fact three times he flat out commands his disciples do not worry or better yet the force of this command is to stop being anxious literally looks at his disciples probably in this during this time in verse 25 for this reason i say to you stop being anxious stop worrying Now, we are very anxious people, aren't we? And I I mean all of us here, every single one. We have fears about how we're going to provide for ourselves and for others every day. We have fears of loneliness. We have fears of what others think of us and our families. We have fears of bad health. We have fears of not living up to some expectations that we, that we set for us. We have fears of, of loss of possession, loss of job and, and relationships perhaps in, in some of our lives. We have fear of the future. This is the anxiety that we're talking about. We all have fears and concerns that, that drive and dominate how we live our lives. We, in fact, because of fears, fail to make bold decisions or wise decisions because we're afraid. We are not sure what may happen on the other side of that decision. What is your fear this morning? Think about it. What is your fear? Why do you fear? Why are you anxious? We... Fear things we cannot control or easily predict, right? We're afraid because we're just not sure. We fear because we recognize the world we live in is, is rather dangerous. Bad things do in fact happen, and you can look back, maybe yesterday, maybe this morning, and you can say, that's why I fear. Or maybe last year you dealt with something very serious in the past five years, and you look back, it's like, that's why. Bad things happen. We say, you know, we, we hope for the best and we prepare for the worst, but in reality, we act with little hope. And nearly everything we, we, we do is driven by fear. And fear is anxiety. Now, it's been said that one of the most repeated phrases in scripture is some kind of variation of do not fear. Do not be afraid. In fact, that, that phrase is repeated in scripture over 350 times. Why do you think that was necessary? Well, because the creator of the world, the creator of human hearts, he knows us. And he could look down and he could say, brother, sister, children, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Don't be anxious. In this passage here before us, Jesus, he instructs his disciples about the sin of anxiety because the root of anxiety, the root of worry is what? It's unbelief, it's unbelief. He flat out says you of little faith right in the middle of this passage. One preacher once said, worry is sin because it denies the wisdom of God. It says that he doesn't know what he's doing. It denies the love of God It says he doesn't care, and it denies the power of God. It says that he isn't able to deliver me from whatever is causing me to worry. That is fear, that is anxiety, that is, in fact, sin. So as we look for help in dealing with our anxiety, we need to turn to the Word of God for instruction, and that is why we're here this morning. And so I invite you to turn, if you're not there yet, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll begin reading with verse... 19, verse 19, in order to set the context and remind ourselves where we've been two weeks ago. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. Will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You Worth much more than they, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the li- lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor they do not spin. Yet, I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What an amazing text. As we look at this text, I want us to to notice two things here primarily. Anxiety over basic necessities results from two things: lack of faith and misplaced priorities. anxiety over basic necessities basic needs results because of two things: lack of faith and number two misplaced priorities and so Jesus, in being the creator, knowing what's in our hearts and trying to shepherd and disciple his disciples. He tries to correct the sinful tendency and he offers this twofold solution. Number one, he says, you gotta grow in faith. You, you, little, you of little faith. Since anxiety about basic necessities is a matter of faith, he says, stop worrying and start trusting. So I want us to look, first of all, In verses 25 through 30, Jesus instructs our hearts, trust your heavenly father's care. That's number one. You gotta go grow in trusting God. You gotta grow in your faith. And then in verses 31 through the end, he then submits to them another truth that you must not only trust, but you must prioritize your heavenly father's agenda over everything else. To get rid of anxiety, you must grow in faith. So therefore, trust that your Heavenly Father cares. And number two, you need to get your priorities straight. We need to prioritize what he says in verse 33. First, his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added to us. It'll be handed to us. So let's look at these things in its order. The first thing I want us to consider is in verse 25. Look at verse 25. Here's how he begins this section. For this reason, I say to you. In other words, what he is saying here is that the earlier truths, which we covered two weeks ago about the treasures, the eyes, and the masters, right? They are the basis for this coming application. So what preceded this text is very important. So we need to go back And in the course of our discussion, we need to remember what is it that that he taught us so that we can properly apply it. Here, Jesus, in verse 25, he begins to expose the root problem of desiring to store earthly treasures, which often begins with anxiety about our earthly needs. You know, it always starts subtle. It always starts small. Like, I just got to get a job. Why do you need a job, sir? I got to get a job because I need to pay my bills. Great. And then you get a job and then you start paying your bills and you're like, well, I got to work a little bit of overtime. Why? Well, because I got to start saving a little bit, right? Only fools don't save. So I got to be wise and I got to start saving and then you got to start save and then you begin to save. And then you realize that, Hey, um, I have a lot saved. I got to start spending a little bit. So what am I going to spend on? You, You see how that works? And, and, It always starts with anxiety, but then instead of providing for your needs, you begin to store, store. What seems like an innocent concern for our well-being leads to a desire later on to hoard and to pursue riches. And as we'll soon see, desire for earthly things, right, is a lack of faith in God, our Heavenly Father. So therefore, he gives them these three commands. In verse 25, he begins and he says, do not be worried about your life. Verse 31, do not worry then. And in verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about now. Don't worry about your life. And don't worry about the future. Now, what is anxiety? Think about this. What is anxiety? Anxiety is a feeling, right? It's not an action. It's not like he's telling you, stop lying. No, he says, stop feeling something. And the dictionary defines anxiety as an inner feeling of apprehension, uneasiness, worry, and or dread that is accompanied by a heightened physical arousal. In other words, when you're anxious, your heart begins to beat a little bit faster. You tense enough. Somebody may even have like a panic attack. Jesus here, notice church, is not telling us to stop doing something, but to stop feeling a certain way, which will then obviously cause us to react a certain way, to actually do something like store up treasures on earth rather than storing up treasures in heaven. We're dealing with feelings. Stop feeling a certain way. This is a command that, that is similar to when, remember in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, right? Joshua is addressed and the Lord addresses him and he says, do not be afraid. Joshua, man of God who's going to take over after Moses, do not be afraid. How so? And then he builds him up by saying, be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord is with you. That's why. Don't be afraid because God is with you and he will go wherever you go. In fact, he is the one who's going to lead you there. So in these verses, Jesus addresses this inward struggle and encourages us towards trust. Do not be anxious, but trust, trust. Now, I believe Jesus' desire for his disciples is to reassure them here of the Father's love rather than reprimand them for their faith or their lack of faith, right? Right, I mean, consider his disciples. Think about this. We're just at the beginning, right? And, and Jesus is speaking primarily to his disciples. The, yeah, the crowds are, are, are there, and they're listening, and, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're also you know, listening to him. But, but Jesus' focus is towards his disciples. And think about disciples. Remember in, in Matthew 4, we've been there, we studied through that passage. Towards the end of chapter 4, Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, and then he calls James and John, and he sa- tells them, you follow me, you follow me. And what did they do? it said they left everything, including their family, their father in the boat. They dropped everything and they're like, all right, we're going to go. We're going to follow you. And by most accounts, as I said before, these guys are probably teenagers. Teenagers. They drop everything and this guy from Galilee comes up and says, you follow me. They believe him. They trust him. They surrender everything. Say, so we're going to go after this guy and we're going to go wherever this man goes. Do you think that they were worried at times whether or not they will be taken care of. It's just a natural reaction. In fact, later on in Matthew 19, a few years after this, they go back and Peter's the one who's asking, Lord, we left everything for you. Surrendered everything. We have nothing. What are we gonna get after this is all over? You see, this is what they were this is what they're dealing with, and Jesus here wants to build their faith, and church, he wants us to do the same. He wants to do the same with us. Build our faith. You have little faith, and we got to understand that, yes, every time we are anxious, we're showing lack of trust. We're showing lack of faith. That being said, faithlessness is sin, and it becomes even more apparent as we get into this text. Notice Notice what type of anxiety Jesus addresses here. Look at verse 25 again. The worry about most basic needs. Do not worry then, what? As to what you will eat, drink, or put on. Eat, drink, and put on. Some of us may be sitting here and thinking, well, that's normal to worry about food and clothing for ourselves and for our families. You know, I mean, we get up in the morning. We got up this morning. The very first thing we think is, what are we going to put on? And then after that, we're thinking about, what are we going to have for breakfast? And we're making choices, right? This is what we do every single time. It's just a normal course of life. Everyone consumes these things. Everybody consumes this thing. But, but here it is. It is one thing to consume basic necessities and quite another to be consumed by these basic necessities. And this is what he's dealing with here. Do not worry then. Do not be consumed by the thought of, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to put on? When we're consumed and dominated by these things, what are we tempted to do most? Store up. Store up, plan, go overboard. This is what we do. Store up. Now, Jesus already instructed his disciples, if you're there in six, just go back a little bit to verse nine. And here he instructed his disciples to pray for basic needs, to pray. So there's, This theme of dependence is is all over this this sermon, but especially in chapter 6. And so he told them, pray then, in verse 11, give us this day, our daily bread. Ask. Now he leads his disciples to consider what true life is all about. Look, he is trying to get them to understand something. And that's why he's asking all of these questions. Rhetorical questions. Consider this. Consider this. And perhaps that's one of the best ways if you're trying to get someone to understand or even sometimes when you're trying to understand yourself, ask questions. And so, therefore, Jesus says, why are you worried? And then he says this, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Right? He is reminding them and us what well, we have already what he has already taught in in the preceding verses. That there are rewards in heaven where we should be laying up treasures for ourselves. But not only that, but also he wants to remind us that if God has given us life itself and our bodies, which we possess, is he not able to sustain our life and sustain our bodies? Think about this. If the creator of heaven and earth is able to make something out of nothing. He breathes life into you. He gave you life. He designed your bodies. He did all of that. Jesus is asking us to consider, think about this. Is he then not able to give you food? If he created body out of nothing, is he not able to then give you stuff to put on your body and things to sustain your body? Is not life more than food? If he can do something great, like give you life, how much more capable is he of doing the lesser things, like give you bread? So in building up their faith, Jesus then, he asked them to do something. He, he says this, listen, I'm gonna give you two illustrations. Okay, I'm gonna give you two illustrations. You gotta look at the birds and you gotta look at the fields. I mean, Jesus is probably on the side of the hill. I mean, not probably, it says here that he got on the hill in chapter five, right? Went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, he began to teach. And so as he's teaching them, he's saying, hey, you gotta look. There are probably birds there, and he's saying, look at the birds. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, that they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God Providentially cares for his creation, like feeding birds and clothing the fields. And so, the point of verse 26 is if God takes care of the birds which are of lesser value, which are of lesser value, he says, Are you not worth much more than they? And if he's doing that, will he not also take care of those who are of greater value? Listen, the birds, they don't have a heavenly father. They don't call out to God as the heavenly father. They are created to praise and worship him, absolutely, but they depend on him. They are not created in his image. We are. You and I are created in God's image. There's no reason for us to be anxious. We need not fret about the essentials of life. Now, you might read this a little closer, verse 26, and say, hey, you know, um, the fact that the birds neither sow, reap, or gather is a bit confusing. Does that indicate that we should not work, right, to meet our needs? And so there may be someone who's tempted to do that and to go that route and to just lean on Jesus. Why aren't you waking up and going to work today? I'm just trusting the Lord. The Lord gave you a job. So you get up, this is how he provides for you. Get up and go. I mean, Paul had a lot to say about this, right? Second Thessalonians three, if anyone is not willing to work, he is not to eat. The emphasis in this text is worry, not work. And we need to keep it there. They don't worry, the birds don't worry because their creator takes care of them. Why do you? Did you forget that you have a creator? More than that, do you forget that you have a heavenly Father, Father who cares for you? I mean, if if this is not enough, then let me give you another illustration. 28, and why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin? Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. Oh, well, this is great! Here's another point: If if God shows such concern for the flowers of the field, which are here for a short time and then they used up as dry grass to offer heat will he not also be concerned for us? And the answer is, of course he will be concerned that we have something to wear. And check this out. If we think otherwise, which is what we do when we demonstrate this anxiety, then the real problem we have is lack of faith. Verse 30, you of little faith. In other words, he says, the fields that are covered with flowers. Not having Solomon where he says in verse 29, like in all his glory, probably means at the height, at the height of his glory, where everybody were, were itching to come in and to check out all of his riches, to check out all of his possessions and his wisdom and everything. He says, Solomon at the height did not experience what, what you guys are seeing right now, because I take care of that. Why are you still anxious? Why are you of so little faith? Now, notice the progression here in this argument. First, Jesus warns in verses 19 through 24 about seeking earthly riches rather than treasures in heaven. And then he zeroes in on what so easily leads to such desire for earthly riches, which is worry about the future, in verses 25 through 27. And now he goes right down and pinpoints the source of such worry. And and he says in verse 30, faith, lack of faith. That's where we find ourselves this morning. And this is what Jesus wants to correct it's so where he wants to instruct us in and built us in faith to remind us that we have a Father in heaven, trust his cares. You know, last Friday we, in discussing the earlier passages we do in our live groups, we um talked about George Mueller a little bit. And if you know anything about George Mueller, he was a great man of faith. Um, so much so that in running his orphanages, he would. Without having any bread, without any, having any sustenance, he would sit out his hundreds of kids around the table, and he would pray for food only to hear a knock at the door and, and a baker come bring all this stuff for them to eat. It's just amazing. Amazing man of God. And look what he once says. He says, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. This man knew how to live. And we need to learn from men like that. And and think about this. In between these two illustrations, Jesus poses another rhetorical question. In verse 27, he says this. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Jesus wants us to see that worry is absolutely useless. Why? Because it doesn't accomplish anything. He says, can add a single hour, single hour, um, literally a cubit, a cubit. And and a cubit is uh, basically a reference to a uh, length from like your elbow to the tip of your middle finger, usually about 18 inches. And so the point here that Jesus is making is worry can't make you grow more mature Or lengthen your days of life for you to grow up another 18 inches. It doesn't do it. It can't do it. It's impossible. In fact, we all very well know that worry does the opposite. In fact, it shortens your life. When you worry and when you stress, you decrease in length of days. Obviously, the Lord determines that, but God wants us to see, Jesus wants us to see that this is an ineffective way to grow. This is an ineffective way to mature. This is unbelief. Arthur Somers, he wisely observed, he says, Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained like that termite that eats through the wood and creates all these pathways, right? Have you ever looked at the anthill, right? And and you see all of these channels and all of these pathways. That's what worry does. And then all of your thoughts and all of your plans are filtered through that. Friends, let us not deceive ourselves. And that is the point. When we worry, we do not trust God as we should. When we're anxious about daily necessities, We stopped to look at the birds. We stopped observing the fields. Uh, This is why, practical application, this is why morning walks are are pretty important. Or if you do evening, that's fine. Or this is why an occasional run or, or a bike ride out in the country road can be so instructive. Because you look around, especially now in spring, And you see the beauty around you and you begin to wonder, how in the world did that happen? Who grew all of that? Who provides for all these birds to chirp and to sing every single morning? Who does that? And you come to realize that it's my heavenly father. It's my father in heaven that does that. He takes care of all these Things. Now, I don't believe that Christ intends us to adopt this who-cares attitude either. Right? We're all called to have healthy concerns, and all Christians should have these concerns. In fact, Paul uses exactly the same word for anxiety and worry in 2 Corinthians 11.28, where he says that there's the daily pressure on me of anxiety or worry or concern. That's why, that's why the translation committee of our various translations, they chose to highlight that word by using a different term. Although in the original, it's the same, but here the word is concerned for all the churches. Some concern is obviously good, but Jesus is counseling us against the worry that is self-centered and has its root in the lack of trust in God. So do not be worried about what you're going to put on and what you're going to eat because your father knows and your father sustains. So trust your father's care. But there's more. There's more. Remember, Jesus teaches in this text that anxiety over basic necessities results not only from lack of faith, but also from misplaced priorities. And I want us to look at that. Prioritize your heavenly father's agenda. Look with me at verse 31. Do not worry then, saying. Do not Worry, they're saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? I know that there are some in this room who have experienced firsthand the temptation to be anxious in the midst of a very serious financial crisis in your family, in your personal life, um, even to the point of not being sure whether you will eat whether you will have food. So there are those. But most of us today are not necessarily concerned about whether or not we'll have something to eat today or tomorrow. Right? Am I right? Yes. Yes. Now, if you do, if you're here with us and you do worry about that, please come and see me or someone who you've seen up here. We need to help you. But... When you think about it, our closets are full of clothes. The sides of our drawers are expanding weekly sometimes. Why? Because we keep storing, we keep buying and we can't fit our stuff in. That that's the reality that we're dealing with. Our refrigerators are full, in fact, some have two. One in their garage, one in their kitchen with a vertical or a horizontal refrigerator keeping all that frozen meat for Black Friday. I mean, that, that's just the reality. This is who we are, and the Lord gives grace, the Lord provides for us, and therefore we plan ahead. We have a lot of stuff. So is this passage, this verse, even relevant to us this morning? This, this probably is what you're thinking about. Like, I don't worry about that. During the time when Jesus taught this passage, consider this, that the average lifespan was about 35 to 40 years. That's it. People died constantly of hunger. But we're a little different today. Is it relevant? And I would submit to you that it is. Because get this, Jesus wants to expand our understanding of necessities, of necessities. How do we define our necessities, church? Friends, how do we define our necessities? Look at verse 25 again. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You know, in addition to stressing the fact that God is able not only to give life but to sustain it, perhaps here's what Jesus is also asking in this verse. Friend, brother, sister, is there more to life than just clothing and food? Is there more, or is that it? And you might answer, like, oh yeah, absolutely, there's more. Like beautiful homes, and nice boats, and good jobs, and nice cars, and the latest gadget. Absolutely, there's more than food and than clothing. But is that what he's talking about? No. He's saying this. Get your priorities straight. Get your priorities priority straight. Is this all you're living for? Food and clothing? Or is there more? Or is there more? Verse 31 or verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. The Gentiles, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Listen, when you worry more about your temporal needs than you do about your eternal needs, you are behaving like the Gentiles. That's the the challenge here of verse 32 like the nations, the folks who do not worship Yahweh, who do not know God, the only true God. They are not only consumers like we are, Christians, but they are consumed by the earthly things. So when you behave like them, what are you seeking and what are you living for? Aren't you living and seeking for the same things that they are? Have you not lost then that saltiness that Jesus talks about in, in 5.13? Or the light that, that fails to shine before men in 5.16? Are you not acting like our Heavenly Father who, that He doesn't know? When you behave like this, when you prioritize earthly and, and the, the pursuit for daily necessities, he says, you have forgotten that your father knows. Your father knows that you need. He knows your needs. Not just some, but all these things. Unbelievers don't have a father in heaven, even though the same God gives to both the righteous and the unrighteous everything they need according to 545 but we have a father you see kingdom citizens do not con- are not consumed by the things of the earth even though they consume the earthly but look at this verse 32 or verse 33 but seek first seek first here's the the ultimate issue in this entire passage. The ultimate issue that Jesus Christ is speaking to you about this morning is the issue of what comes first in your life. That's it. If you're going to boil everything down to one thing, it is this. It is this. Consider this. Why were the Gentiles off track? Why were they rebuked in verse 32? Is it because they were seeking for food and clothing? No, it's because they were seeking for food and clothing first, first, the issue of first priority, first, that's what they're eager about. So here's the question, what do you value most? Why is that important? Because you will seek that which you value. Always. Always. You have various priorities, and you're going to go after number one. Always. What do you value most? As I said two weeks ago in our previous sermon, if what you value is below, if it's material, then all your thoughts and desires, your hopes and fears, your motives and priorities, all of it will be shaped by what is earthly. But if what you value most is above, if it is spiritual, then your thoughts and desires, your hopes and fears, your motivations and priorities, all of it will be shaped by what is heavenly, by what is of God. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, what did he call them to do? I mean, you're here and you're saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. What do you follow him in? to seek what he was seeking. He sets the example. What was Jesus seeking, you ask? Well, consider the opening chapter of his ministry right after his baptism, he's driven into wilderness in chapter four. And after 40 days without food, trying to stave off starvation. By the way, a perfect time to become anxious about food when you're hungry. He tells the devil in 4 4, he says this Matthew 4 4, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Is not life more than food? How would Jesus answer that question? Absolutely. There's something higher, there's something more, there's something greater. Jesus is seeking to live for the Father's pleasure and his will. Food may have sustained his body, but his soul, his life, his soul, and his spirit depended on the Father. So as Christian, Jesus tells his followers, let God and his agenda be first. Let God and his agenda be first. You know, over the last couple of years, we heard a lot about domestic policy of the previous Trump administration that was characterized as America first. America first, what did it mean? Well, it meant that all the policies that were implemented by that administration would benefit Americans first, then the rest of the world. My citizens, he says, come first. But church, since we are citizens of another city, the heavenly city of which Paul writes right in in Philippians 3, we are guided by another set of principles. Those of our heavenly kingdom. His kingdom first. What are we to seek? Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Two things. By seeking his kingdom, we are seeking to spread the reign of Christ through the spread of the gospel. Through the spread of the gospel. If you flip to Matthew 4.23, it says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This was his mission. This is what he was all about. Higher purpose. Is life more than food? Absolutely. What is it? To go around and I'm going to proclaim the gospel. And as citizens of the same kingdom, we follow in the footsteps of our king. And therefore, he taught us how to pray in the same chapter. He says, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. We are praying to, for God to impose his rule and authority upon this world and we engage in the same thing Jesus engaged in, the spread of the gospel. And by seeking his righteousness, we are seeking to live a life that elicits a reaction from others, a reaction from others. Check this out. Again, we're, we're constricted by the context of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And look what he said in the blessed section at the beginning, Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who are, have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Your life for Christ will result in this kind of reaction inevitably. When you pursue his righteousness, Jesus says, but rejoice rejoice, even so, live for Jesus, even if it means persecution, because guess what? Some will respond positively. That's why he goes on and he says in verse 16, let your light shine. Why? So that men would see and glorify my Father in heaven and your Father in heaven. Church, today we live in in a panicking society as folks all around us are are trying to figure out how to stay alive. Stay alive. And even though we need to demonstrate a measure of concern for these things, we need to pause and ask, is our life more than these things? That's where it gets real. It's where we have to answer before the Lord. Is life more than, than just simply seeking to preserve it? Jesus told us you will lose it. What's your priority? What is the goal of our life? What are we seeking out of this life? Is it simply to stay alive? As Christians, do we believe that our Father knows our needs and the real or perceived dangers we find ourselves? Well, certainly so. Friends, pursue and seek his agenda. Submit to his word and submit to his ways. Go to places and tell others of Jesus. Live for Jesus and let others see that you're not afraid, that you trust God. You're not dominated by fears of what ifs. You're not worried about your life. The Father knows. Church, the Father knows. The Father will sustain. Check this out. The Father will sustain you, and you can take that to the bank as long as he deems necessary. Now, obviously, we have to walk in wisdom, but we cannot be anxious. We have higher priorities. We have higher goals. You put him first. And, and look what he says here. I'll throw in the rest. I love it. At the end of verse 33, and all these things, they will be at it. Have you ever went to a dealership and maybe you were choosing between this dealer and that dealer, whether new or used, and one guy says, you know, if you buy this car, I'll throw in free oil change for two years. Or I'll throw in, you know, extended warranty on this and that. You get it? I'll just throw it in. This is what he's saying. This is what what God promises to cover our basic needs and remove anxiety when we maintain focus on his kingdom and his righteousness. Think about this. We we read this passage right in 2nd in Timothy, 2nd Timothy chapter 2. Go there real quick. I think it's a very instructive passage for us. Paul encourages his son in faith to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he says, suffer hardship with me as good soldier of Christ Jesus. Look at this, verse 4. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. When you're in the Lord's army, your number one mission as part of the army is not to find a uniform. You already got that. Your number one goal and mission, your objective is to please the commander by Fulfilling your duties, you engage in a battle. You protect the post. That's why you're there. Everything else will be given to you. The food, that's taken care of. The uniform, the weapons, all of that stuff, it's all given to you. It's all there. Freely bestowed on you. I'll throw that in. I'm calling you to your duty. Put me first. Church, our Heavenly Father promises to provide. Trust him. Look at the birds. Look at the fields on the way home. And when you do that, you begin to worry less, not only about today, but also tomorrow. Today, but also tomorrow. Read verse 34. Go back to Matthew. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When you trust God each day, you do not need to worry about tomorrow. You do not need to worry about the future. This is really what he's saying. When he says tomorrow, it's just the future. Don't worry about the future. Doesn't he promise you that, right, there will be troubles? Yes, he says, hey, today we'll have enough trouble. Paul says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. He's not asking. He's not telling you that this is going to be, a quiet ride. No, it's going to be full of turmoil. But in the midst of all that, he's going to provide. That's the point. Trust him. You can still prioritize him over everything. Paul says, even in my hardship, my number one goal is to preach Jesus Christ, to make him known. That's it. The problem with anxiety that it it borrows trouble from tomorrow and introduces it into today. Kent Hughes says this, the anxious heart receives all kinds of blows through anticipatory anxiety that will never happen. Some of us have suffered much more in this world than has ever happened to us. We fear everything because everything is possible. Such a heart possesses nothing, though we may have all. Its only real possession are its fears. So do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. God gives you enough grace to deal with today. So how do we apply all of this? You know, as you sit in your chair, I want you to ask a series of questions. Questions? What am I truly putting first in my everyday pursuits? What am I putting first? What are my priorities? What am I devoted to? And to help identify what what that might be, ask yourself, as we've been asking throughout our time here this morning, what what am I tempted to be most anxious about today? Because that will probably reveal what you are devoted to most. What is the most fear-inducing thought Maybe that will help some. When you are tempted to be anxious, here's another thing. Do you trust the Heavenly Father will provide for your real needs? Do you trust that he knows? And do you trust that he's powerful enough to sustain you? And friend, in in learning how to trust the Lord and stop worrying about stuff, do you personally know, do you personally know how to live each day for God's agenda? Not just general, I got to preach the gospel, I got to do all of that stuff, I just got to think more about the Lord. Do you personally know in your space, like as a 17 year old, right? As a uh, married man, as a married woman, as someone with children, maybe a senior here among us, do you personally know how to prioritize God's agenda? Can you list some of these things that you need to personally pursue? We don't just want to talk about this stuff. We want to apply this stuff. So maybe you do need to read and just remind yourself of God's word more, or, or maybe you need to continue to pray for that perishing soul, even though things might seem hopeless and you're more tempted to pray about stuff, maybe about your need. And so all of your prayers are filled with that rather than just praying for salvation, salvation, because that seemed hopeless. I've prayed for this guy already 15 years and I'm done. Maybe, maybe I just should focus on this thing. Look, what is it that, that you personally need to prioritize? Maybe you need to spend more time with your children. Spend time more with your children to train them, to teach them, to just relate to them the gospel in a more personal way. Not just those 30 minutes before they go to sleep. Maybe you need to meet with a friend you've been putting on the back burner for a while to just encourage him, to pray with him, to read scripture with him, just to keep going because you're prioritizing his kingdom over yours. Maybe you need to step out in faith and tell someone about Jesus this week. You haven't done that in a while. Maybe that's what you need to pray. Why? Because of your priorities as Christians. Anxiety over basic necessities results from our lack of faith and misplaced priorities. Let us remember that. Invest in the heavenly kingdom. We trust in the Father because he promises to take care of all of our necessities. Father, we thank you. Secure our minds and our thoughts and our hearts. Protect them. From this overwhelming feeling of fear and anxiety. And when we do feel this way, help us to be like Jesus who bowed down and prayed to you in the time of his most anxious moments. Lord, I, I pray, train us, help us, help us to identify ways that we can prioritize you this morning and this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.